0: We're going to come and get you. And for the rest of you, I'm going to ask that you open your Bible to two particular spots that we're going to read from. And we might reference multiple other places. Um, I want to go to Matthew chapter 21 and Acts chapter 2. So uh, we're going to kick off with Palm Sunday's traditional reading with a little bit about it. But we're also going to go to Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And we're going to read from Peter. So Matthew chapter 21 is where we will begin. And as we get ready to read here, let me just, as we've mentioned before, this is Palm Sunday, kicks off our Holy Week, which is, in my opinion, the biggest week of the year, the best week of the year. And we read prophecy after prophecy after prophecy of Jesus to come. And Jesus goes to Jerusalem for one last time for no other reason but to fulfill prophecy of him and to fulfill the promises that he made because as Jesus was here walking the earth, he made promises to his disciples and to all those that would even reject him. And when Jesus goes, whenever we read this, please understand that There wasn't necessarily anything special about Palm Sunday other than the fact that people were laying down palm branches or any leafy branch that they could get their hands on and and laying them before him. We'll read here in just a minute as they're laying their cloaks down, they're almost giving Jesus a red carpet as a celebrity would get out of the limo and walk into the Oscars um, hoping not to get slapped, but, but they, would, you know, they would walk into the Oscars or into the Grammys, and they would walk the red carpet, and they would roll the red carpet, and then welcome them in because that's their celebrity status. And it's almost the same thing that we see. So let's go Matthew chapter 21. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So before we go to Acts 2, let's just kind of take a look at what's going on here. So we get an understanding of why it's still important for you and I today. When Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, you hear the people shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, which literally translates into, Oh, save us. And what we've discussed numerous times is that the people in Jesus' day had a very poor understanding of why Jesus came. They were expecting Jesus and anticipating this Messiah to rise up and to deliver them from the Roman oppression that they found themselves in. And he was going to restore the nation of Israel in such a way that they would be a very very prosperous and very wealthy and very powerful nation on the earth. And they were hoping for, anticipating for, and and anxiously awaiting the arrival of this Messiah, this Christ that had been prophesied about. And, and, you know, grandparents would tell their grandchildren, there's one coming. There's one coming. And, and, And the Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. And generation after generation after generation, they would all live. They would pass away. And Messiah had not come yet until the time where Jesus steps onto the scene. So when Jesus steps onto the scene, they are expecting, they're anticipating this Messiah to deliver them from Roman oppression, which tells us an all too well, because we live in a today's world that very, very often do people misunderstand who Jesus is and what he desires for them. So in our day and age, we might think that, well, since I'm a Christian, Jesus is going to protect me from any kind of illness or disease. Well, because I'm a Christian, there's never going to be a painful moment that I'm going to walk through. And Jesus's teaching would actually contradict that very poor understanding of Jesus by people on the world. Just as they were expecting this Jesus to deliver them from the Roman oppression, we are oftentimes expecting Jesus to deliver us from unfortunate circumstances or painful moments or or unforeseen predicaments that we did not choose for. And Jesus has always been and he always will be concerned about the salvation of souls rather than the eternal prosperity that you and I might find. So, so not only did he come to, to restore his people, but he did it in a very spiritual way. And all far too often, you and I, if we aren't careful, we'll find ourselves in the same context of the people that were shouting, you know, Hosanna on Sunday and crucify on Friday. Because they had a very poor understanding of why Jesus came. Jesus, so we got to get it out of the gate now. Jesus did not come to make your life any easier. He may. But that was not the purpose of him coming. He did not come so that you would be prosperous in all that you did, because that would be a prosperity, false gospel heresy that would lead many people astray. Jesus did not come so that every relationship would always be perfect. Jesus did not come so that you would never be sick or ill. Jesus did not come so that you would always have the right answers and always give the best direction and never question or doubt or have any sleepless nights. Jesus came why? What did John the Baptist say? Behold the lamb of God, who what? Takes away the sins of the world. Behold the lamb of God that came to make me happier. Behold the lamb of God that came to make life easier. You'll never find it in the Gospels. Behold, the Lamb of God that came to take away the sins. And Michaela and I were just talking about this. I think it was this past week, maybe, how first century Christians having salvation in Christ was all they needed. Facing persecution and being threatened for their own lives, but still resting assured in salvation in Christ was all they needed. And they would go to the stake for it. And how so many people will walk away from church because Jesus didn't answer them a prayer after my first time asking. Or Jesus didn't restore the relationship immediately. Or Jesus didn't save someone whenever I thought they should be healed. Or or how many times do we see very earthly motivations impact an eternal being that you and I really are? Because this life is just a vapor. And them shouting that and misunderstanding who Jesus was. And you see it from the birth story all the way to the resurrection of the dead. That Jesus was misunderstood and people have always been expecting of him something differently. Jesus said he did did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So whenever we read this triumphal entry of Jesus, we have to understand why is it so triumphant? You know, whenever you picture Jesus riding on a donkey, it wasn't going very fast. You know, he could have had chariots with golden wheels and could have been all decked out. But, ever, but he, did, he chose to do what he always did, to come in humility, to demonstrate that he came not just for the rich, and not just for the ones that got their shirts tucked in and their ties on. He came for the low. He came for the sick. He came for the spiritual dead. He came for all of us. So, so whenever he comes in, whatever, I, I was trying to picture Jesus riding on a donkey. I couldn't help but to think about some time I spent in the Marine Corps. And as an enlisted guy, there were certain... Officers that would come around and things had to be different when they came around. So I was part of a battalion of about, I don't know, 700 Marines, and there was one battalion commander, and I'll never forget his name. His name was Lieutenant Colonel Bardorf. Okay, Lieutenant Colonel Bardorf. Anytime Lieutenant Colonel Bardorf would come in your building, whoever spotted him first would shout at the top of their lungs, Attention on deck! Who else Who else remembers this? Who, some of y'all remember this. Attention on deck, Lieutenant Colonel Bardorf on deck. And immediately, whatever you were doing, you stopped and you stood up at the position of attention until he would tell you as you were, carry on or do whatever you're doing. So Lieutenant Colonel Bardorf was kind of a jokester and sometimes he would just stare at you. Until somebody would smile or, or laugh. He, he, I mean, he was a, a really cool guy, so whenever he would come on deck, somebody would start shouting attention. Today. Sometimes he would say, Just shut up, just shut up. I, I don't need all the attention. Just get back to doing what you're doing. Or sometimes somebody would stand up and yell it, and they're the only ones standing up, and he would just stare at them. As long as he could possibly stare at them until they laughed or he laughed, and then he would just carry on. But it was like that. As soon as he came on that floor, it was very evident that he was there, and everyone stopped doing what they're doing. And there's this is what I couldn't help but picture as Jesus is riding on a donkey, it wasn't happening very fast. You know, have you ever rode a donkey? Anybody? It doesn't happen very fast. It doesn't go very quick and it's not real smooth. Jesus is riding. But it was almost as if as all the people were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. It, I couldn't help but the picture the devil had to stand up and just see that Jesus is on deck. Jesus has arrived and the devil had to take notice in that particular moment because everything that had been prophesied about had always came to pass. When God makes a promise, he keeps a promise, regardless of what, he's, what you know life may look like, he keeps this promise. So it's almost as if I could picture you know all those days being a, a, a young Marine and seeing this Lieutenant Colonel c- come on deck and you would stand up and you would await his, his permission to proceed doing whatever you're doing. I couldn't help but to picture that's exactly what had to have happened whenever Jesus is beginning to ride into Jerusalem and all the people are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. The devil had to stand up and take notice. Someone is on the scene and his day was coming to an end. So why is this so triumphant? Why is this so triumphant? Well, if you would turn with me to Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two is a beautiful chapter of Scripture. We're going to pick up in verse 22. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. What makes this triumphant entry so triumphant? What makes it so important for you and I to, to find ourselves this week humbling ourselves and slowing ourselves down and truly digging in the Scripture this week? Truly spending time in prayer. So this sermon preached by Peter on the day of Pentecost, what we're getting ready to read, was a day in which Jesus had ascended to the heavens to be seated at the right hand of the Father. And if you remember the story, Jesus spent 40 days post-resurrection appearing to his disciples, appearing to those who were close to him, and he was giving some last-minute instructions prior to his ascension. And at the beginning of this chapter, you read the ascension account where he goes back to heaven after rising from the dead and spending 40 days appearing off and on. And he tells the disciples to go into what? To go into wait, And the Spirit, the Helper, would come and he would empower them. So on the 50th day, post-resurrection, we have Pentecost, which is a tradition by Jewish people from all over various regions. They would come to Jerusalem speaking different dialects, different languages, tongues, and they would come together. And what what God does very strategically, because he's not a, a... a fly-by-the-seam-of-my-pants kind of God. He's very strategic and he's very orderly. He comes on the day of Pentecost and pours out his Spirit so that the people in the upper room who started at 500 now came down to 120 because it just shows us that 380 people had other things to do, which is why Jesus said the, the wide gate is traveled by how many? By many. The narrow gate that leads to life is traveled by what? Few. So it was very few people in comparison to total that actually could wait 10 days for the Spirit to come. The Spirit empowers the people in that upper room to begin to speak in different languages that they did not know or tongues that were very clearly and very understandably interpreted and spoken as the Spirit gave them utterance. And whenever they begin to speak in these other languages, the gospel is preached in their native tongue where they were not originally familiar with. So as the gospel message of Jesus Christ being dead burial, death, the death, burial, and resurrection is being proclaimed through these people, Peter stands up in the presence of all and he begins to preach a sermon. And here we go in verse 22. Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him verse 24 is a verse that you need to read this week, and it was one that whenever I read it, it began to really encourage me whenever Peter goes on to say, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. Loosing the pangs of death. It's almost as if Paul said, oh death, where is your sting, meaning I may breathe my last breath and all of us are going to probably breathe our last breath unless the skies are split wide open. However, that is not the end because death has no dominion or power over those of us who are in Christ. It's not the end. It's in fact just the beginning of, a, of, of an everlasting life in the glory and in the majesty of our Lord. So whenever he writes, whenever he reads this, we read this particular verse, we ought to be reminded. That death has no power. Illness has no power. The life in Christ gives us full power and authority to live boldly and proclaim the gospel because that name, which is above all names, Christ Jesus our Lord, is over the name of cancer, illness, or corruption, and ultimately over the name of death. Because death could not hold him. And we'll get to that next week but God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. That should give you hope for eternity, that death could not hold him. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Peter goes on to write and to speak. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his ascendants on his throne. So Peter's preaching this. And if you remember, they were shouting out about Hosanna, Hosanna, son, whoever comes in the name of the Lord. And they're shouting all this and they are referencing the Davidic throne that Jesus would set upon, the, the Davidic kingdom that Jesus would come born through. And Peter goes on to write, He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did this flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and one that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift in full, in wholeness, the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, and this is where I want to end, right here. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself that's peter's sermon peter could have given a three-point message on you know generosity living he could have given a message on be good to your neighbor and, and and love one another and get along well but peter who's still probably a little stung by everything things are pretty raw still with peter It hasn't been all that long that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and then would ascend. It's it's only been 10 days that Jesus had left him. Things are still pretty raw. So of all Peter could have preached, the Spirit leads him to preach about whom? Jesus. And the crucifixion of Jesus. And this is why we celebrate today is that the promise. So, So in order to know why Palm Sunday was so triumphant was because he was coming, and the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world has now stepped onto the scene so that he can actually fulfill this prophecy and promise that he had given so that he would die on a cross. And here we are 2,000 years later, still hanging crosses on walls, still hanging, carrying them around our neck, or still putting them in our pocket as a symbol and a reminder of death being defeated and sin being nailed to a tree. Therefore, whenever Jesus stepped onto the scene, the triumphant entry is that when Jesus made his way into Jerusalem to pay the punishment for your sin and mine, that you and I have hope and we can rejoice today, we can rejoice tomorrow, and we can rejoice when things are bad because this, the Lamb of God came to do what? Take away the sins to remove your sin and my sin as far as the east is from the west. So you and I can rejoice, but now we read Peter's message on the day of Pentecost when things are still pretty fresh. Things are still a little raw here. The church is being birthed and the Spirit of God is going to go forth and equip many people to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the world. So what is it that we must know today that is so important to celebrate a day that we call Palm Sunday and then come back next week at 6.30 in the morning while fasting for 48 hours, hungry and ready to eat, but also anxious and ready to worship? Why is it so important? Because this promise, Peter said, This promise is for you and for your children, for all those who are far off, everyone whom God calls to himself. What is the promise? Jesus said it himself in John chapter three, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. So whoever believes in him would what? Never die, but have eternal life. This promise is that you and I will be able to dwell with him in his glory and his majesty forever and ever. So who is it for? Peter is preaching to a bunch of people that just crucified Jesus two months ago. Peter's preaching to a bunch of people that some of them had nothing to do with Jesus. Some of them wanted to follow Jesus and see him continue on. But there's a lot of people that hear this and that would go on to hear the gospel message of Jesus that really were considered outcasts were considered people that, you know, wouldn't be accepted by the religious people because they didn't have their hair fixed and their good clothes. And and here's what I want you to know. This promise today is for you and your children and for the generations to come. So here's who the promise is not just for. All those that got it all figured out. The promises of God aren't just for those who've got it all figured out. You've got your your three-step program to wealth and you've got your 401k lined up and you're ready to retire at said age and you're going to raise your children this way and they're going to go to this college and, and you know all the plan and the trajectory of your life. This is for the people that have no plan. They don't know what tomorrow is going to look like because they aren't anxious about anything. This this promise of, of Jesus coming to pay for the, the payment for our sin wasn't just for those who have their... Sh- their shirts tucked in and their shirts buckled all the way up, buttoned all the way up and their tie on because we're all out. We're all out. Then I don't see one single tie in here. I don't, hope, I don't think I'll see a tie next week. So it's not just for those that wear the fanciest of clothes and, and have everything squared away and their hair is cut just right. This promise, Peter says, is for everyone. The drunkard, The addict, the gossiper, the greedy, the failure, the brokenhearted, this promise is for everyone. Those who are literally a nobody, this promise is for everybody. This promise is for you. I don't care how you came in today, I want to just tell you this thing. This is all we need to know, is that the promises of God were for you and me. What else is there to say? What else is there to say? I mean, we don't need three steps to to how we know because we take the word of God. We take the word of Jesus whenever he said that whoever believes in him. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to end this sermon differently than I've ever ended one ever in my life. Yeah. I'm going to sing karaoke. (laughs) (laughs) You notice how Brian and everybody just ran to the back. They saw me up here and they just ran to the back. Yeah, we'll talk about that. But you know, with today being Palm Sunday, today being the the initiation of Holy Week, today also being the day of baby slash young child dedication, I couldn't help but to think Peter's words are real. Right? I mean, they're real. You may have come in here and you feel like a complete failure. Guess what? The promise of God and salvation is offered for you. You may have come in here and feel like, well, nobody cares for me. Nobody loves me. There's no way God will love me after all I've done. The promise was made for you. That if you would repent of your sin and call upon His name, He would be. you would be saved. And then you you could receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead could live in a broken, sinful, wretched person like me. This is why His grace is amazing. And here's why I want to end this differently. Because we've got kids that are going to come up and some teachers that are going to come up. And I want them to sit with sit with their family. Well, do you want them to sit with you or not? They're going to sit with you. You thought, boy, I got a whole hour kicking them downstairs. They're gathering. They're Tell them... I'll clean up later. Tell me, tell Brian, yell down there and say, "Trevor will clean it up if it needs to be." (laughs) Michaela will come back. Yeah. (laughs) But when we read these words. Peter would go on to say, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And all the church said, amen, amen. Turn on the news and you'll see what crooked generation uh, we live in. Scroll through Facebook for three and a half seconds and you'll see just what crooked of a generation you live in. Well, you know what? Even in all of that, you and I can have a peace that surpasses all understanding to guard our hearts and our minds, and we can rest assured and have what is that old song? The blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. So here's what I want to do to end this. Because as we read those words, salvation isn't just offered for all of those good ones and those perfect ones and those religious ones. It's also offered to our children and the promise of God's spirit to live and dwell within them is also offered to our children and all the generations that are going to come. Tell them to come on. Yeah, come on. We're waiting on them. All right, kiddos. I want you to go find mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, whoever you came with. I want you to go find them. But don't be talking now. Don't be talking. As quickly and quietly as you left, I want you to come back. So I want everybody to find your parents, grandparents, whoever you came to church with. If you're a teacher, find your spouse if they're here. Find your children, grandchildren, whatever you got to do. And let's, let's get settled in as quickly as we can. So here, here's, the, here's the reason I do it. Be, well, one, because we've got to get the kids up here anyway. We've got a dedication to do in just a moment. But here's what I want you to do. If you came with family today, you came with family today, you have your children who were once downstairs now with you, here's what I want us to do during this last song and time of prayer I want you to hold them tight. And I want you to wrap your arms around them. I don't care if you're a grown adult child and you think you're too cool for that. I want mom and dad to wrap their arms around you. You heard me, Crockett. I want mom and dad to wrap their arms around you, give you a smooch, because here's why. The promises of God were offered for them too. And guess what? I get the opportunity to raise up four young, beautiful ladies that are gonna be able to take that promise of God that he came and he died for them to their kids. And to the generations, and to my my children, and to my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. And for generation after generation, what's the old song say? For a thousand generations, they are going to know the Lord. Why? Because the promises of God never fade. They never end. So here's the beautiful thing. Whether you came in broken today, whether you didn't want to be here, or whether you're here willfully and rejoicing, I want you to know the promises of God were offered for you so that you would never, ever perish. Even though you may physically breathe your last breath, you will dwell in the riches and the beauty and the majesty of our Lord forever and ever. Why? Because behold, the Lamb of God came to take away our son. So here's what I want us to do, two things. I want you to sing this last song with us as loud as you possibly can, wrapping your arms around those that God has given you, those that you come to church with, or maybe it's a complete stranger, and rejoice in the promises of the Lord. Rejoice that the promise of the Lord is offered for them. And here's the other thing. At the very same time, if you are here today and you would be honest with yourself and say that you are one who would be considered those who are far off, I want to give you an opportunity to repent of your sin and call upon the name of Jesus Christ, your Lord. And I want to be able to pray with you. And We have church leaders that would love to pray with you and to pray for you. Step alongside of you and walk this journey out with you. But I want us to just... Rejoice today, because on this Palm Sunday, the light of the world came on full display. And behold, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world came to die on a cross for me, for you, for your children, for your grandchildren, for all those that you see around you. The person three rows behind you, the person two rows in front of you, those who are beside you, the promises of God will never end and they are for them as well. We must receive his His offer of salvation and we must rejoice in the promise. So I want you to just, just take a moment right where you are and I want us to pray together to end this thing out. And I want us to stand after we pray. But I want you to just be taken back for a moment. For just a moment. And I want you to consider that when Peter said, this promise is for you and for your children and for everyone whom the Lord God calls, he did not directly say your name, But here we are 2,000 years later. Church got a little rowdier, a little noisier. But he was speaking to you. He was speaking to the children that don't quite comprehend or even understand yet. He was speaking to those of you who may have come in here completely broken, disappointed, or discouraged. But that you could be raised to life in Christ. And this is what I want us to do. I want you to join me and stand with me. We're gonna stand, we're gonna pray, we're gonna worship one more time.